Welcome to a brand new episode of Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. I'm your host, Tim Friedman, along with fellow Clevelander and rock and roll expert, Frank Ost. Frankie, how are you? Great, Tim. How you doing? Very good. 1967 is a year I've been looking forward to since we began our episodes. 67, very interesting year. We'll talk about the big songs of the year, as well as some great one-hit wonders. Some you may not have heard before, or maybe you have. A couple of songs that were on the pop side and a couple psychedelic. I think psychedelic was um, pretty prominent in 1967, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Our featured artist was a breakout artist of 1967, The Doors. That's all on this episode of Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. Let's get started. Frankie, the Rock Hall recently announced a brand new $100 million improvement and renovation project to be coming our way. It'll keep the same original footprint that was inspired by famed architect I.M. Pei, but will add an additional 50,000 square feet of room for bigger exhibits as well as a new band shell overlooking Lake Erie. Should be exciting. They say they'll hopefully get started soon and be done by 2024. Last time around, we spoke about our Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees from 2018. Now we're down to 2017. I'll run down the list and then get your opinion about each one. Joan Baez, ELO, Pearl Jam, Nile Rodgers, Tupac Shakur was uh, also inducted. We spoke about Notorious B.I.G. and uh, Yes and Journey. First up, Joan Baez, your thoughts. Beautiful voice. What can you say? Whether she belongs in the Rock Hall or Hall of Fame, I'm not quite sure. Although she was uh, definitely president at uh, a lot of the major events of the 60s and 70s, including Woodstock. Including Woodstock, she performed there six months pregnant. She did, and uh, her a cappella version of Sweet Low, Sweet Chariot is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. She also performed at the famous March on Washington six years earlier, That's August right. 1963. The folk singer, the activist, hailing from Staten Island, New York, can speak Spanish and has recorded songs in six different languages. Exactly. She has performed for a lot of years, 60 years, with over 30 albums and performed near midnight the first night of Woodstock. She was final act of day one. It's actually closer to one in the morning the next day, Saturday, August the 16th. She started out playing in a drizzle and finished up with a downpour all around her. Uh, Frankie, that ended uh, quite a hectic first day at Woodstock. We'll be talking about Woodstock in full detail in an upcoming episode of our conversations. Uh, She put together just a a wonderful set of tunes, 14 in all, which was a little more than the average number of songs that a performer would uh, do, except for maybe Ravi Shankar, who had four, uh, and The Who had a 24-25 song set. Well, she started out singing Oh Happy Day and ended up with We Shall Overcome and sang that beautiful song, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, just before that. Very outspoken critic of not only the Vietnam War, but all wars in general, uh, death penalty. She's been a proponent of gay rights, environmental causes. But I think with with respect to just longevity, she, uh, I suppose, belongs in the Rock Hall. Probably. This is a a conversation that there really isn't any right or wrong answer. We're just going to give you our opinion about who we think is more deserving than others. There are a lot of artists out there who still need to get in, and we'll talk about that in future episodes. ELO, Jeff Lynne, Bev Bevan, and Roy Wood began the group formed in Birmingham, England, and not the only band that started there. Check out this list of the who's who of Birmingham, England. Moody Blues, Spencer Davis Group, Traffic, 
Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin. Holy cow. Other bands that you might be familiar with, Judas Priest, The Move, Fine Young Cannibals, mm-hmm. Duran Duran, and of course the early uh, member of the Moody Blues, Denny Lane. Okay, that's right. Jeff wanted to create a band with a mixture of pop and modern songs with classical arrangement and overtures, and he sure got his wish, didn't he? Yeah, that first song I heard from them, uh, I think it was off their second album, Roll Over Beethoven. Holy cow. It was made for them, obviously. It was, I'm sure he had that in mind to record that from the beginning of the band, and it just blew the lid off of everything for them. And after that, there was uh, Face the Music, a New World Record. What a, what a list of great records they had. Out of the blue, that double album set, they got into disco with Discovery, which I always call very disco, if you kind of juxtapose those words a little. He also worked on Xanadu's soundtrack with Olivia Newton-John. He did. We'll talk a little bit about this group, the grunge band from Seattle, Washington. Not Nirvana, but Pearl Jam. Your thoughts? Terrific band. Um, Their first record, 10, was, to put it mildly, a 10. (laughs) <laughs> uh, what a rock and roll album it was uh, with Jeremy and just a bunch of great hits on it. Uh, I was very sorry when um, Nirvana's Kurt Cobain died because it seemed like we were set up for years of kind of a little bit of a back and forth between Pearl Jam and Nirvana uh, to kind of push themselves sort of in the way that the Beatles and the Stones did back in the 60s. But sorry to say that was not to happen. Uh, Pearl Jam has become a, a great band, but I don't know if they've ever reached the potential that they showed in that first album. Eddie Vedder, lead vocals, guitar still a favorite while touring, uh, but bands like Green Day, who came along a little later in the 90s, you could see that uh, uh, Nirvana would have really helped that band along too, as far as the back and forth and the, the competition they had. Absolutely. Niall Rogers, American guitarist, singer-songwriter, producer for everybody. Sister Sledge, Chic, Diana Ross. The Let's Dance album. That's right. Bowie. He was uh, very, very heavily involved in that, and also uh, uh, a number of uh, Madonna's things, including Like a Virgin. Like a Virgin. The Reflex, Duran Duran, two time cancer survivor. Oh, my goodness. Nile Rogers. That's certainly great. deserving. Tupac uh, was part of that East and West Coast thing they had going on in the late 90s with. Notorious B.I.G., he was also gunned down, but Tupac was uh, in Las Vegas when he was shot. I remember that. That's very sad. Very sad. Yes, the progressive English rock band formed in 1968. John Anderson, Chris Squire, what can you tell me about Yes? I think that the fact that um, Yes and ELO got in, finally, after all those years, helped further uh, the cause of, like the Moody Blues, and I think will also help groups like King Crimson and that, uh, that were kind of in that orchestral end of things. They've had 19 members that have been full-time members over the years they've been active. Well, it's been a more over 50 years, so members have included Steve Howe, Rick Wakeman, Jeff Downs, Peter Banks, Bill Bruford, and Tony Kay. One of my favorite uh, little trivia facts is that the big album, the Yes album, with uh, had four songs over eight minutes on it, so... That shows you exactly what they were up to. And then finally, Journey also inducted that year. We had them as a featured artist a couple of episodes ago. Steve Perry was on stage to accept the induction, but did not perform that night. 1967, to give you a framework of where we stand, I was a little tyke. You were 
older than me, still preteen, but I was only seven years old. Ronald Reagan was inaugurated as the governor of California that year. In sports, Green Bay defeated Kansas City, Super Bowl I, which they didn't call it Super Bowl at the time, but it would be eventually known as that. And St. Louis beat the Red Sox in the World Series four games to three. Bob Hope hosted the Academy Awards, did so very often. Elvis Presley married Priscilla. The Big Mac was introduced. And the Summer of Love was held in San Francisco. Frankie? Beautiful stuff. It was, uh, it was a time of change, and 1967 rang it in with a lot of change, and one of the biggest things that was changing was the music we were listening to. At the Monterey Pop Festival in June 1967, it was a three-day and night event planned by John Phillips of the Mamas and Papas and Lou Adler, who we spoke about earlier. Among right. many others, Lou produced uh, so many artists, including Carol King's Tapestry. Acts included in this three-day and three-night event, Jefferson Airplane, The Who, Grateful Dead, Jimi Hendrix, Otis Redding, Janis Joplin with the Big Brother Company, and Eric Burden, Ravi Shankar, The Mamas and Papas. Virtual who's who right there, many from San Francisco. Yeah, and Eric Burden uh, famously wrote a song about it called Monterey. The Who and the airplane did fly that day. Boy, and how. <laughs> Bob Dylan was still recovering from his motorcycle accident. Motown acts were supposed to be there. They were invited, but Barry Gordy nixed that, refusing to let that happen, including Smokey Robinson, who was one of the creators of the festival himself. And that's a shame, because we would have loved to have heard that. Uh, you really don't get many chances. Uh, Woodstock, uh, Monterey Pop, uh, most of the festivals, there's no Motown. And Motown was such a huge part of the scene in the 60s. It's a, it's a shame we didn't hear more of them. 1967, a great year for music, still a year away from 1968. What a tumultuous year that was. Top albums. We began the year with the Monkees at the top of the Billboard Top 200 chart, followed by more of the Monkees, which spent better than four months there. <laughs> Headquarters, also a number one album, and then... It wrapped up the year with Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited. The only reason they called it Jones Limited was that uh, Michael Nesmith and Davy Jones shared the same birthday, December 30th, in between something called Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Beatles came out with that in late May of 67, spent four and a half months at number one, and music was never going to be the same. No, until then, we'd kind of gotten uh, used to having single records. That was the single, the 45, was kind of the way that people went to Marketplace. That's how our pop stars talked to us. Suddenly with Sgt. Peppers, that certainly changed, and changed quickly because everybody else got a whiff of that, and sooner, very soon, everybody was putting out uh, concept albums and everything else. After 1966, the Beatles didn't take a break, but they were busy working on this album. Sgt. Pepper's What a Phenomenal Album That Was, my favorite cut from side one anyway, is called She's Leaving Home. And when George Martin heard that beautiful song, he said he wept openly. Played without guitars or drums, but with a harp. Every cut on that album is fantastic. Yeah, there's nothing weak about it at all. It's one of the great classic albums. Um, for many years, it stood atop the uh, Rolling Stone top, top 500 albums mm -hmm. of all time. It has just uh, been moved off that place by what's going on by... Uh, Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. But uh, I think it's still, if it's not number one, it's certainly top five of all time. No question about that. 
four and a half months. Had to be long enough at the top of the charts, right? Because something came along that knocked it right out. It was Bobby Gentry and the album Ode to Billy Joe. 1967, our very interesting spotlight year. After that, it was The Supremes. Diana Ross and The Supremes had, no surprise, a number one album. And it was ended, the year was, of 1967 by The Monkees, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited had sold 3 million copies. And Pisces was among the first to use a Moog synthesizer. Mickey Dolenz did that. Daydream Believer was recorded, but not going to be released till a little bit later on. This song, written by famous songwriters, Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil, who had that little talk about back and forth to make you better, with Carol King and Jerry Goffin, if That's you ever right. see the production, which is awesome, called Beautiful. You'll see what I mean. These two wrote the song Love is Only Sleeping. That song was originally scheduled to be released, but the record company Call Gems thought it was too racy, so they released Daydream Believer instead a year later or so, and it became a number one hit. So the songwriters for the Monkees talk about a virtual who's who, not only Man and Wild, but King and Goffin, Neil Diamond, Voice and Heart. Yeah, I was going to say Voice and Heart and, uh, you know, They wanted to write their own stuff and play their own instruments, and they did for the album Headquarters, but kind of backed off and let the backup session musicians take a crack at uh, Pisces later on in the year. A Cuddly Toy, you may remember that, was written by Nielsen. Pleasant Valley Sunday, big hit, became a two-sided hit along with words. That was Mickey Dolenz providing the lead vocal on Pleasant Valley Sunday, but he was the only one who did not provide any instrumental help. He did not play the drums on that. Oh, really? Even though Peter Tork was an accomplished guitarist, as was Michael Nesmith. Michael Nesmith claimed to fame was working with Linda Ronstadt with uh, the Stone Ponies and a different drum. And not only did his mother invent Whiteout, but he was also at the forefront of music videos, early stages. That's right. I forgot about that, but uh, he was very involved. Very talented. Early on. Very, very talented. Top albums from the year. Magical Mystery Tour. The Beatles came out with that later on that year. Jefferson Airplane, a surrealistic pillow. Hendrix had two of them. Are You Experienced in Axis, Bold as Love? Disraeli Gears by Cream. Rolling Stones, Between the Buttons was also a big hit for them that year. The songs that were released in the U.S., a little different than the U.K., Ruby Tuesday and Let's Spend the Night Together. Not a bad little set of albums there. Incredible. Breakout Artists, 1967, a full variety indeed. The Bee Gees, The Doors, Jefferson Airplane, The Fifth Dimension, Al Green, The Box Tops, The Classics Four, and Gary Puckett and the Union Gap really run the gamut, doesn't it, of pop music to R&B and rock and roll. Absolutely. We have a few one-hit wonders. The first one (laughs) is going to be a pop song right from beginning to end. It hit number seven on the the Billboard charts, released in late 66. The flip side was called, get this, Frankie, the teeny bopper song. Very fitting for a man named Keith, James Barry Kiefer. 98.6, nice and healthy. So after that number seven hit by Keith, he went on to not do a whole lot, although he did wind up being in the touring band of Frank Zappa in 1974 and through the mid-70s. Wow, I'm impressed because those are generally some great musicians that played with uh, Frank Zappa. It is psychedelic if you ever heard it. It was also featured on the TV shows Mad Men and Shameless. Fly by Nights and Found Love. Next up, the Strawberry Alarm Clock with their number one hit, Incense and Peppermints. Frankie? What a terrific song. Um, 
even a little psychedelic coda at the end. So uh, I remember my sister coming home with not only the 45, but the album. Mm. So I got I got treated to the entire album, which it sounds exactly like what you're hearing. The whole thing is just a fun mess of psychedelic uh, 1967, perfect. Now, your record collection, as we found out, contained two albums that are on opposite ends of the spectrum. That oh. one and Casey and the Sunshine Band. Absolutely. What else you have in between? That song featuring Ed King on lead guitar and Mark White's. King would go on to join a little band we know called Leonard Skinnerd. Play guitar for them, 73 to 75. White's played the keyboards with the Smashing Pumpkins during one of their tours about 11 years ago. It was released in May 67. It hit number one in November, which it was on the charts for an awfully long time. It was co-written by a guy named John Carter Jr. Shortened his name to just plain old Carter. And we launched the career of one Tina Turner. Other big number one hits, some of them number one, some of them might not have, for what it's worth, Buffalo Springfield. Oh, what a tremendous song. Something Stupid. I guess that's in the title, but the song went to number one, Nancy Sinatra and her dad, Frank. Kind of a weird song, wouldn't yeah, you say? Yeah, I think I'd heard of him before. She wound up having six more chart singles in that year alone, and one of them was not These Boots Are Made For Walking. That was out the year before. That I didn't know, but wow. The association was big with Windy, um, Monkeys, Daydream Believer, Ode to Billy Joe, which we talked about, To Sir With Love, one of the big hits of the year from the Absolutely. movie of the same name. And Up, Up, and Away, Fifth Dimension. In my beautiful balloon. Psychedelic, anything but the Fifth Dimension, saw groups like Strawberry Alarm Clock and the Flyby Nights, Quicksilver Messenger Service, the Electric Prunes, Iron Butterfly, Velvet Underground, the Seeds, and the Blue Magoos. That's right. What do you think about well, some of those groups? Just, just bringing up the names puts you in a certain time period that you know, will never happen again. Popular artists, Mamas and Papas, The Supremes, The Turtles, The Rascals, Petula Clark, The Hollies, Paul Revere and the Raiders, Tommy James and the Shondells, The Association, Frankie Valli, Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, did not go to number one, it went to number two, Dionne Warwick, The Lovin' Spoonful, and of course, Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. Maybe one of the greatest hits of all time, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Wow, what a single. So Frankie, a lot of the biggest artists of the 60s and 70s and into the 80s were backed up by the Muscle Shoals Rhythm Section, later nicknamed the Swampers. They worked with Bob Dylan, Paul Simon, Leon Russell, Leonard Skinner, Aretha Franklin, and the Rolling Stones, when they came to Muscle Shoals to record a couple of tunes for their upcoming album in the late 60s, they worked on Brown Sugar and Wild Horses with the Stones, and they're actually mentioned in the song Sweet Home Alabama by Skinnerd. Muscle Shoals has the Swampers. So the Swampers' original members were Roger Hawkins on drums, Barry Beckett on keyboards, David Hood played bass, and Jimmy Johnson on guitar, who engineered three of the tracks of that Sticky Fingers album, by the Stones. Now, David Hood co-founded the Muscle Shoals Sound Studio and played with all the same artists as mentioned above, but also with Art Garfunkel and his solo work. And remember Valat, Julian Lennon, his short-lived solo musical career in 1985. Barry Beckett on keyboards co-produced the One-Hit Wonder, 
Smoke from a Distant Fire. For fellow Alabamans, Ed Sanford and Johnny Townsend, he played with everybody too. Allman Brothers, Rod Stewart, Boz Gags, Dire Straits, Vin Skill. Briefly a member of the group Traffic in the early 70s. I didn't know they lasted that long. And Roger Hawkins on drums played for Percy Sledge's When a Man Loves a Woman, Respect, and Chain of Fools by Aretha. Staple Singers, I'll Take You There. Paul Simon's Kodachrome and Loves Me Like a Rock from that great album, There Goes Ryman Simon. And of course, the Muscle Shoals rhythm section were prominently featured in all or mostly all of Bob Seger's great rock and roll work in the 70s into the 80s. So like the Wrecking Crew, who were some of the best L.A. session musicians, the Muscle Shoals rhythm section provided the same for all of those artists and more. What a variety that was for it, music. Absolutely. It really ran the gamut. You could listen to pop stuff. You could listen to psychedelic schmaltz or anything in between. Ed Ames, My Cup Runneth Over was a big hit that year. Tony Bennett, Engelbert, Vicky Carr, Bobby V, and the Casinos all hit the top, of the, or top or close to the top of their charts that year. I think the most fun thing about it was that uh, this being just before the dawn of uh, FM radio, you got to hear all these songs on the same station. Literally on the same station. You didn't have to dial, go up and down the dial. You'd hear them all, every one of them. I know for us here in Cleveland, uh, though there was WKYC, and, but it was Wixie 1260. They were the king of the hill in 1967, or CKLW, the Big Eight out of Windsor. Brings us up to our featured artist, debuting in 1967, and inducted into the Rock Hall in 1993, The Doors. Robbie Krieger on guitar, wrote a bunch of their music, John Densmore, drummer, the late Ray Manzarek, and the Lizard King himself, Jim Morrison, died at age 27, much too young, but... Well, uh, if The Doors hadn't existed, somebody would have had to invent them, because they came upon the scene in the summer of love, 1967, and... They were quite different than anything that you'd heard before. Uh, it was not, although they did quote a little bit of psychedelic music, it was pretty much blues, straight blues, rock and roll. And like you said, most people think that uh, uh, Jim, Jimmy Morrison wrote most of the stuff, but in fact it was mostly either the, the Doors yeah. or, uh, in a lot of cases, Robbie Krieger. A lot of the songwriting fell to Robbie as the years progressed because Jim Morrison had a real serious issue with alcoholism and just wasn't up to it. So Robbie Krieger would have to step in and do a lot of the writing. They performed quite often at the L.A. Club London Fog as well as a famed Whiskey A Go-Go, who apparently they fired them because, well, Jim Morrison used a few expletives in a live show and they let him go. Exactly. No matter, producer Paul Rothschild had saw him a couple of sets and signed them to Electra Records in August 1966. You know, Jim Morrison was a big fan of Frederick Nietzsche, as well as Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac. That's right. He loved poetry and the desert. Manzarek and Densmore, familiar with each other from Surprise, Meditation Classes. And their debut album, The Doors, now four-time platinum, was recorded in less than a month, unlike song uh, albums like Pyromania by Def Leppard, which took almost a year. Also in 1967, uh, they performed Light My Fire on the Ed Sullivan Show. 
you know, just a few years away from the Beatles performing there, and Ed was not happy. Well, uh, yeah, I, from the way I hear it, they were not supposed to say higher. Nope. Is that the way it went yeah. down? Yeah, and they okay. said it anyway. They said that's all Jim knows is to sing it the way they wrote it. And they were set up to do, I think, uh, five or six more shows, and they were immediately canceled by Mr. Sullivan. All canceled. And, of course, Jim Morrison, being Jim Morrison, said the only thing that he could say, what do you mean? We already did the Ed Sullivan show. Been there, done that, moved on. Absolutely. To the album Strange Days, released later on that year, People Are Strange. What a follow-up. Love Me Two Times, Moonlight Drive, the album made to number three in the States. A year later, Waiting for the Sun, released in July of that year. See, groups were touring and writing songs. They'd have two albums in a year. Softer Sounds sort of hit number one in the nation. It was called Hello, I Love You. Love Street was a cut off of there, The Unknown Soldier. Then it was off to their fourth album, recorded over a few months in the late part of 68 and 69 after a rough tour. Didn't have a lot of time to write some new material. The Soft Parade came out, and Morrison began focusing more and more on his poetry and had that alcohol trouble, and that left Robbie Krieger to come up with a lot of the creative input. And he came up with Touch Me and Tell All the People. By 1970, things were... <laughs> Coming off the rails. They were, and they weren't slowing down. Jim Morrison and the Morrison Hotel was released in February of that year, hit number four in the top 200 charts. The albums all did very well. And it was a great album. In fact, Rolling Stone called it the, one of the most horrifying albums of all time. So you could tell kind of what the feel was of the record. Morrison supposedly exposed himself on stage in concert at Miami. It caused... 25 ensuing shows to all be canceled. Although the other doors swear it never happened, and I think they even said that it was uh, mass hysteria that caused the whole situation. Roadhouse Blues, Waiting for the Sun, and the political track Peace Frog. A couple of compilation albums followed, Absolutely Live, as well as 13. Electra Records wanted to get some out for Christmas, so 13 did come out, and it had a smattering of their big hits to that point. 1971 was L.A. Woman, recorded only only, uh, over a couple of months, uh, released in April of 71, and and the song Riders on the Storm was released and coincided with the untimely death of Jim Morrison. That's right. What a sad uh, thing. It uh, uh, happened in Paris, I believe. It did. He's buried there July 3rd, 1971. Oh, my goodness. According to Bruce Botnick, who was the engineer and also co-producer, of that album. Jim Morrison wasn't drinking very much at the time they did the recording sessions for L.A. Woman. It was very easy to work with. Well, the record itself, boy, you can't get much better. What a what a stack of hits they had on there and uh, songs that will go down in history as far as uh, rock and roll classics. Love Her Madly, L.A. Woman, Riders on the Storm. That's right. Just a part of it, The Doors. And I would have really liked to have heard what they would have done as we moved into the 70s, although with the way things were going, <laughs> I'm not sure they would have been a good fit for the 70s with the disco. And I can't imagine seeing Jim Morrison in a leisure suit. In a leisure suit in Vegas doing a disco song. Just can't. Hard to imagine. Sometimes, though, uh, our heroes like that, uh, sometimes it's better not to imagine those things because, you know, now we have them at 27. And he'll never age. Final thought this week on episode four. Frankie, you and I have been talking about best concerts that we've attended. Peter Gabriel was one of those for you. The Stones, uh, not at the stadium necessarily, but at the Coliseum in Richfield. 
And for me, it would be the Eagles. We spoke about them before. Uh, Elton John, uh, Al Stewart, Poco, Pure Prairie League, who I've seen a, a couple of times. Uh, the smooth jazz artists I've seen a number of times, like Russ Freeman. I also like David Benoit and Larry Carlton and guys like that. Tell me about one in particular from 2004. Well, back in uh, 2004, when they were trying to uh, get the vote out for the Democrats, they had a Rock the Vote tour uh, to elect Kerry. Now, it might sound, oh, my God, it's political. I don't want to be there. Not at all. In fact, if you hadn't known that it was a political thing, you probably wouldn't have known. Uh, but the, it was a pack, a four-pack of uh, groups. Uh, started out with a group called Bright Eyes with Connor Oberst as the uh, main man there. And then a uh, group you might have heard before, uh, John Fogarty with... Um, the E Street Band, Ass's backup band, hmm. then R.E.M., and then, of course, to end the night, Bruce and the E Street Band again. And then all everybody came out for the encore, so they had uh, all four bands as, as uh, out there for the encores. I always wonder what Connor Oberst thought of being sharing a stage with that kind of firepower. Michael Stipe was out there, too, of R.E.M.? Absolutely. Absolutely. What a show that must have been. It was a fantastic show. Well worth uh, seeing. uh, And for my money, one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. Now, I know that Springsteen puts on a long show. How long was that set for you? Much, much shorter because he was kind of following up the others. So it was probably no more than an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, which for him was a very short show. Clarence Clemens, obviously, was still there. The band was there. Yes, absolutely. Everybody. And, uh, of course, they played a lot of the hits. And, uh, again, for those who think, oh, my God, it was probably they were standing up there giving speeches or not, nothing like that. In fact, if you were a Republican, you wouldn't even have known that that's what was going on. So it's more of a get out and vote as opposed to vote for Kerry absolutely that wasn't the the idea of the night I'm sure they would have liked to have had Kerry elected but sure. it wasn't that kind of night no it was really wasn't uh, by the time in fact at one point uh, Bruce said uh, uh, you can't do the Bruce chant tonight because I'm here with other people so you can't go Bruce like they always do Well, that lasted about one song, and then Bruce was back. (laughs) (laughs) Future episodes of the 70s Rock Conversations will feature Fleetwood Mac and Linda Ronstadt, among many, many others, for our Featured Artist of the Week. For now, I'm Tim Friedman for Frank Ost. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.